Cause it's a pain A destiny child You know it will be rocking Cause it's flipping insane It's just a pain A destiny child More precious than a diamond On a platinum chain Alright, quiet down, quiet down, class I'm your, uh Substitute teacher for the day. Uh, I'm a, a white American man, which makes me uh, qualified to teach you uh, about Asian cinema uh, this week. And uh, I guess we should start with introductions. Uh, I'm I'm uh, Mr. Sean Lemmy, and uh, let's take attendance. Uh, do we have a John Otney? Present. And do we have a Colin Westman? <coughs> I'll be here. Are, are you very ill? I, I am. I should probably be at, at home. Sorry. They got about... him with the gas. The Green Goblin's gas. <laughs> oh, no. it's true. Uh, I, I had what? a run in with the Green Goblin on the way to school. Um, John, it's you not, seem to know a lot COVID. about it. I swear it's not COVID. So the Joker's gas makes you laugh. John, what does Green Goblin's gas do to you? It makes you see stuff. It makes you see little goblins trying to take your wallet. All right. It makes you cough real bad. My uncle had it. So Colin, if you see little goblins trying to steal your wallet, know that it's not real. It's just a side effect of the gas. Just let him take it. <laughs> but I only got like five bucks. I'm a kid. I need that money. Trust me, it ain't worth it. The gas, man. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that was uh, not the direction I thought we were going to be starting the uh, the pickoff with this week. But you know, uh, if you open the door for a bit. A bit will walk right through and ruin your intro. Uh, yeah, that was that was fun. Uh, the Green Goblin, I guess, tangentially related because um, we are going to be talking about a touch of Zen this week, which I picked in honor of Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which is the latest Marvel film. But into Marvel films from now there will be a new Spider-Man and that one might have the Green Goblin in it. So it's it's all connected, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's kind of connected. Uh, and I'm, since we have to do little picks first, why don't I just go right into talking about Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. Um, this is a movie I had honestly pretty low expectations for the trailer didn't do a ton for me um and also after sort of the escalation of powers that we've had in marvel movies over the past few years with um you know people like thanos and captain marvel who can you know blow up huge spaceships and, and fight on a cosmic scale a movie about a guy who's just like the best martial artist didn't seem particularly interesting um, but I was happy to have my expectations met and then well exceeded by uh, what was a really fun movie. And it's, it's kind of uh, become, I think, 
in my esteem, one of the one of my favorite Marvel movies, at least one of my favorite Marvel origin stories. Um, and uh, you know, if it if I if it wasn't so scary to go to the movie theater right now, I'm sure I would have seen it at least twice by now, uh, if not more. And um, I guess that that fear isn't actually that widespread though, because it did smash the uh, the record for the biggest uh, box office weekend uh, Labor Day weekend. Uh, ever, uh, as well as the second biggest opening this year. Um, the interesting thing about that, I think, is uh, it made 94 million. The previous record was 75 million uh, over Labor Day weekend. But either of you know which movie made that? I'll give you a hint. It came out in 2007. Oh Jesus! Oh Halloween. Yep, Halloween 2007. I was there. The only remarkable thing about Halloween 2007 I think I'll ever come up with is that fact. Awkward movie to see with your parents. Why was that? Well, it's a Rob Zombie movie, so, like... Because, you know, that movie has, like, a bunch of his, like, family life. And it's got, like, his mom being like, Oh, you fucking cocksucking piece of shit! Like, they're always, you know... That's what the dialogue is like in Rob Zombie movies. It's just really... Do they have a southern accent? Doesn't that... Don't those movies take place in, like, Illinois? Yeah, they do. But, you know, every pretty much everyone in a Rob Zombie movie is like a redneck. Okay. <laughs> Doesn't seem to matter. Mm-hmm. It's like Sherry Moon Zombie and William Forsyth, like, just, like, assaulting, verbally assaulting each other mm-hmm. for, like, half an hour. And then everyone's a fucking dick. It's just a mean, spirited, a gross movie. Yeah. What's your movie? favorite Rob Zombie movie? I feel like you've seen most of them, and also I've seen all of them. Most of them, Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ! Why? Ah, <laughs> uh, curiosity, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think his best, my favorite one, or least least hated, is Halloween Two, because it's just nuts. It's, it's like okay. mostly a dream sequence. <laughs> all right. Plus, you get to see Octavia Spencer get killed by uh, Michael Myers, which is kind of fun. Okay. Who would have thought she'd go on to win an Oscar after that? No. Uh, Shang-Chi, Sean. Yeah. What's going on there? Well, it was directed by uh, Destin Daniel Cretton, uh, which I think is only interesting because basically every movie he had made up to this point was with Brie Larson. Um, but he did not end up getting that job making the, the Captain Marvel sequel. Instead, he got this. Um he directed like, like Short Term Twelve, The Glass Castle, Just Mercy, um, some some like sort of sort of indie movies you might have heard of. Yeah. Um, and and the 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 unknowns don't stop there. Uh, it stars uh, Simu Liu, who is famous for a Canadian TV show, uh, and that's about it. And also some great stock photography that he's used recently to, to make some uh, funny tweets. Uh, he seems great. Uh, and then his sister is played by uh, Menger Zhang, who I don't think has done any film roles before this. Um, and at least none that I could find on Wikipedia. But it does have uh, Aquafina as sort of his best friend sidekick character, um, who is... 
you know, sort of in the in the mold of like Darcy in the Thor films. You know, she's she's the comic relief, but also actually helpful. Um, pretty charming. I mean, everybody likes Aquafina at this point. I think maybe maybe it's, she's been in too many movies and now people don't like her. I don't know. I still like her. Um, and and of course the big deal is this was the uh, first American uh, movie that Tony Leung has starred in. Plays the uh, the villain uh, who hmm. is uh, Shang Chi's evil father, and he's the guy who has those ten rings that the that the legend is about. Uh, and he's great. I mean, he's acting uh, on a just higher level than everyone else in the movie. Uh, I would love to see more of him, although it seems unlikely that we will be getting more of him. Um, but it's an amazing redemption story for a character that got sort of um, rewritten in a bummer way in Iron Man 3. Uh, it's technically the same character that Ben Kingsley played in, uh, in mm-hmm. Iron Man 3. Uh, although they, uh, they work around that in a really fun way, too. Um, hmm. it's, it's great. Uh, also, props for the fight choreography. I think this has some really, really fun fight scenes uh, and, and the credit goes to, to Brad Allen who was a member of Jackie Chan's stunt team who, uh, who, who died back in August um, so that was a shame uh, he's a, he seems like a really talented dude he also had done the fight scenes in uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and Solo a Star Wars story and all three of the Kingsman movies So, including the Kingsman? yeah, yeah the one that's not out yet Coming Rasputin, maybe doing karate. <laughs> we'll see. Hopefully, yeah. At one point in this movie, Michelle Yeoh basically does airbending, so I'm um, yeah, I'm all in. <laughs> Shang Chi's great. <laughs> I think John liked it too. I liked it quite a bit. Um, I, I think I, I also wasn't super stoked to see it, but I feel like the trailer hides a lot that's in the movie. I feel like one that isn't too much of a spoiler. There's a lot of creatures in this movie. A lot of mystical creatures, and that's really cool. I love all that stuff. Yeah, I do wonder if it's becoming a worrying trope that um, just because it's something they did in Shang-Chi as well as Black Panther, this idea of uh, a, a, a continent that's considered the third world having an advanced society, but it's like hidden away from the rest of the world um it's kind of weird that they repeat that in this as well uh but it's also really cool like wakanda is really cool and talo in this is awesome i want to go there again i want to go live there but i, I probably i'd probably die trying to get there unfortunately <laughs> all right i'll go next um yeah i'm gonna recommend a movie that i watched last night <gasps> that is projected to open at number two the weekend um of course uh Shang-Chi will probably get number one again a movie from another prominent director of Asian heritage James Wan's Malignant I watched it on HBO Max oh. you guys and I loved it it was, it was great it's over the top for all the right reasons it's insane it's kind of supernatural it's kind of a slasher kind of a giallo film it's got like some martial arts type shit in it for some reason which is great 
Um, it's a movie you can't really talk about without spoiling. Hmm. Uh, even the trailer's kind of misleading where it's like, presents it as a movie about a woman who's like seeing uh, like the, the, what a killer sees when um, he murders people. And like supposedly this killer is her imaginary friend named Gabriel. Yeah. And we do get to see this Gabriel character got like long hair and a trench coat and kills people with a knife he made from a trophy and runs backwards and does flips and shit. It's awesome. Um, it's funny because I saw the trailers and I'm like, this looks stupid. But it's James Wan, so I feel like it, it might at least be competent. And it was great. I, it was better than I expected. I feel like the only reason they uh, released reviews so late and just any reviews at all was just to kind of keep it a secret because... You don't want to, you know, you want to spoil it. Mm. Um, but I'd highly recommend checking it out. I think it's streaming on uh, Max until October tenth. Uh, usually, that works. Those thirty days, and then they take it away for some reason. And yeah, but it, it's worth back. it for the twist. It's totally nuts, though. It's cool. It's actually, I guess, that's pretty smart because then if it goes away in early October, maybe they'll get some people who procrastinate on it and then want to watch it around Halloween. Yeah, dude. It's nice to see him return to horror because I know he's going back just to do another Aquaman after this. And he, hadn't, he hadn't done a horror movie in a while, so it's cool to see that he's he's still down to play in that genre, even though he's been successful, yeah. you know, with action. Is this at all related to his graphic novel *Malignant Man*? It isn't, which is weird. <laughs> he just likes that word, I guess. It's like how the, the Led Zeppelin song Houses of the Holy isn't on the album Houses of the Holy. You're like, I guess they just really like that title. Yeah. It's confusing, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it's 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 totally different idea, totally different story. Check it out. I, I, I just want someone else to see it so I can talk to somebody else about it. It's one of those kind of movies. It Well, yeah, you definitely sold the twist aspect of it. I feel like I gotta see The Conjuring 2 first, but I would check yeah, that's that good. out as well. It's a good yeah. movie. That was like... his last horror movie before this one. Yeah. Wowza. Um, okay, for my little pick, I don't know. I feel like it's always alienating if you choose an album by an artist that isn't that well established, but this album did get a Pitchfork Best New Music, so... It's out there. Uh, it's called Any Shape You Take. It's by an artist named Indigo D'Souza. She is from North Carolina. Uh, I liked hearing that she like moved into a cabin in the woods during the pandemic. Or no, it wasn't a cabin. It was like a abandoned church with like a bunch of her friends. And I guess that's just something I think about a lot is how artists and creative people are adapting or did adapt to the pandemic because it's just like hard to collaborate with people or, or be around other creative folks um uh the album it's like it's definitely rooted in 90s like alt rock uh not not that dissimilar from you know other kind of up up and coming indie artists like uh like snail mail or or soccer mommy or, or something like that but some of the production is like a little more playful and, and poppy like the first song on the album 
doesn't sound that much like the other songs on it because he uses like a lot of auto tune and synths and stuff. But the rest of it's pretty like guitar based, a little <laughs> slackery. Some of it's like you know kind of emotionally direct and and also pretty catchy. Like the last song of the album, especially, has been stuck in my head a bunch uh, last few days. I also like that her mom did the artwork for the album, which has like a creepy like skull parent and their baby on it. Uh, very spooky. So that's my pick. I also just like haven't found many albums that I've latched onto over the summer. I don't know why. Maybe I just like haven't been listening to music as much because I've like gotten out and tried to do things instead of staying indoors and listening to music. But at least there's that new Casey Musgraves album. Yeah, I was gonna out. say I'm sure that'll wreck you. Yeah, <laughs> but haven't haven't spent that much time with that one. I've only listened to it once. Did you like it? I think so. All right. I'm always hesitant later. to to give like definitive opinions on first listens, but it's intriguing so far. And shall we talk about a touch of Zen? We should. I would like to begin by asking you guys a question. What do you think the title A Touch of Zen means? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I haven't thought about that because I keep getting the title wrong. I've typed in A Taste of Zen so many times. (laughs) Which sounds like a great YouTube channel. You know, to me it kind of feels like they're saying there's a little bit of Buddhism thrown into this movie, but just like a touch of it. It's, it doesn't control the whole movie or its narrative, but it's in there. Colin, just, just that is a, a nice little little ingredient thrown into the into the pot. That is a very astute answer, Colin, and it's actually not what I had originally thought. I, I had assumed a touch of Zen because it's a martial arts movie. I thought it was implying like, oh, the, when you have when you're a Zen master, you've got this special touch. Let's mm-hmm. fucking kick ass. So like the the hand move thing in the at the end of Kung Fu Hustle, uh, you guys have seen that. I think you have. I think Colin has at least. Yeah, we saw it uh, in theaters uh, at the Cinerama, and there were like two teenagers behind us who seemed to be pretty high, and we're just laughing at like everything in the movie. Um, but your touch of weed. Your, yeah, touch of weed. <laughs> touch of weed. Uh, you're actually right. It's a, I, as far as I can tell, um, that's the your your interpretation is closer to uh, what if they actually meant when they titled the movie "A Touch of Zen," uh, because the writer and director King Hu is not himself a uh, Buddhist. He was just influenced by uh, people in his life who were, and so uh, he wanted to uh, introduce their philosophy and his respect for it, but not uh, not claim to be an expert. So that's why it's a touch of Zen instead of, you know, the Zen masters. A fist like of that. Zen. Yeah. <laughs> a fistful of Zen. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, the that's only the title in English. The uh, actual title of the movie is Jianu, which is Chinese for heroic woman or, or something like that. Magnanimous woman is another uh, translation I've read. 
um, which is actually the title of a short story from a uh, Ming Dynasty era writer uh, named Pu Songling uh, from his collection uh, Strange Tales from a Chinese studio. Um, and I did look up Janu, and it is a very bare bones story, at least in the in the version that Wikipedia tells you. Um, and you know, when when you learn about uh, creative writing and and creative storytelling, um, they when they when they teach you about outlining a story, you're supposed to be able to to go. Uh, and, and introduce like little phrases in between plot points, like "and then" or "because of that" or "in spite of that." You know, th- like there has to be a connection between each plot point. And when you read out Janu's plot points, they just seem totally random. <laughs> you know, it's uh, a woman appears next door. They have sex. Uh, they. She kills a guy. She disappears. She comes back. She tells the guy she's gonna die. She beheads someone. He turns into a fox spirit. It's uh, it's 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 pretty interesting. But of course, these old stories are are often kind of funny when you have to simplify like that. Um, and uh, and so I think what. The reason I, I bring this up is I think uh, this is not just like a straight adaptation of a short story. I think we're seeing a lot of uh, King Hu's uh, perspective and, and the, the types of things he's interested in uh, inserted into this uh, adaptation. Um, so let me tell you about King Hu, because I think, Colin, you had said before you'd heard of him, but just barely mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, basically. I was just like, that's a cool name. <laughs> I should, I should see some of his movies eventually. So he was born in the 30s in Beijing to a fairly uh, upper-class family. And like a lot of people, when the communist uh, revolution happened, uh, since he had the means to do so, he got the hell out of there and went to Hong Kong. Uh, and he ended up joining the Shaw Brothers studio, which was at the time the largest movie studio in the world, um, and did a whole bunch of different jobs. He acted, he wrote, he built props, uh, he even did assistant directing. Shaw uh, Brothers also have a great logo, because it's just the Warner Brothers logo, except it's SB instead of WB. <laughs> Looks like a superhero logo. <laughs> yeah, it does. I didn't think about that, but yeah, it sort of looks like a Superman, like chess symbol. Cool emblem. Um, and uh, he does direct uh, a couple movies under Shaw Brothers. It's his second one that ends up being uh, a mega hit. It's a movie called "Come Drink with Me." Uh, which uh, stars Chang Pei-Pei, who will much later in life play Jade Fox, the villain of Crashing Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Um, And um, Come Drink With Me is remarkable at that time for sort of blending the style of Japanese samurai films with Western editing techniques, as well as uh, Chinese opera. 
and mashing all of that into one film. And it's uh, it's not the first uh, Wu Jia film, but it's uh, really influential in establishing the style of that sort of subgenre of um, martial arts filmmaking, which uh, he then makes his big uh, impact on with his third film uh, called Dragon Inn, which he makes after uh, leaving Shaw Brothers Studio and going to Taiwan. And what's interesting about that is there is no film industry in Taiwan <laughs> at the time. So he's just kind of doing everything. He's, he's writing, directing, he's helping to build the sets, he's uh, training the actors, he's acting himself. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a one-man film studio, basically. Um, and Dragon Inn makes a shitload of money. It's <laughs> like, it's bigger than, than everything else that's coming out at that time in that part of the world. Um, and it sounds like that it's, it's a success that he can literally never live up to. Um, which is weird because when you look him up, A Touch of Zen is the movie people talk about. But um, I guess that's because it's, it's his more art housey martial arts movie. But uh, I think if you were a contemporary of his, Dragon Inn, or Dragon Gate Inn is its other title, uh, would, would be the King Ku movie you talk about. Yeah, I mean, it definitely f- definitely feels like the movie he got to make after making his, you know, successful movie. I guess it is like his blank check movie, basically, because <laughs> he just gets right. to make something super ambitious, maybe too ambitious. Uh, which well, I guess and you'll, also you'll what's interesting is, yeah, he, he doesn't consider himself to be like a big martial arts fan. It sounds like, or yeah, uh, like not an expert in in this type of um, storytelling. So he, I think, between these three movies, "Come Drink with Me," "Dragon," and, and "A Touch of Zen," he re- repeats a lot of the same elements. Which mm-hmm. you know, could it could be? I mean, maybe that's just what he likes. Or it could be, you know, he doesn't know what to do, and that's what worked before. I think it's just a matter of interpretation. Um, so A Touch of Zen, uh, it's financed by the government, because, again, there's no film industry uh, in Taiwan yet. And um, when they find out he's making a three-hour martial arts movie, uh, the government is not happy about it. And so A Touch of Zen ends up being released as half a film in 1970 uh, while the production is still going on. And then uh, the second half of the movie comes out a year later. And uh, neither of these releases do very well. So then the producers take both parts and edit it into one film and released that in late 1971, and that also does poorly. Uh, and so at that point, they throw their hands up and let uh, King re-edit A Touch of Zen. And it's not till 1975 that he's done with that, uh, which he submits to uh, the Cannes Film Festival, uh, where it goes ahead and wins the, oh, here I go, here I go with some French, Grand Prix. De la Commission Supérieure Technique. Hey, the technical grand prize, basically. Make Muzzy proud. 
Yeah. <laughs> you have to do a lot of uh, non-English pronunciations, and um, you're doing a good job, Sean. <laughs> Keep it up. <laughs> Just gotta go for it sometimes. Uh, uh, and and I th- I I watched one of the uh, the Criterion special features um, for this movie, and the guy in it said that uh, A Touch of Zen is the first like art house martial arts movie that anyone ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I believe the guy, I, I, I can't challenge him. It sounds, sounds true to me. Uh, cause this is definitely an art house movie. It is, uh, what, like 10 minutes of no humans at the start, <laughs> just shots of mountains and spiders and stuff. Sp- spiders. Yeah. And like abandoned buildings. Or I guess yeah. shrines, or the, or the fort, I guess. Yeah. Which, by the way, part of the reason the production took so long is they had to build the fort, and then <laughs> leave it to become aged and like let the grass grow tall and stuff like that. So that was like a year right there uh, of the production. Yeah, I mean, because they couldn't just use like a old Chinese looking fort because they were in Taiwan and. I'm assuming they would not be able to film in China. Uh, yeah, well, uh, being yeah, Hong Kong slash Taiwan exiles, basically. Yeah, that was a, that challenge continued into the um, the costumes as well, where they had to uh, sort of go off of his memory of what these Ming Dynasty uh, people would be wearing, and then make it from scratch instead of just having reference material. It's a crazy production. It's crazy to think well, just yeah. like one guy can drive a whole movie like this, especially yeah. a three-hour epic. And it took two years to finish, which I don't. You can kind of feel in the movie because you you can sense him like thinking of other like things he could do with this movie, like narrative-wise and like style-wise, which kind of makes it more memorable. Because you, you yeah. just go on this journey where the film is kind of plagued by its own rules and kind of making them up as it goes along. I think it was shot relatively in chronological order as well. Mm. I, I would assume that's the only way they were able to put out that part one and then keep filming and make part two. Yeah. Um, and that definitely lines up with how the, the the scope of the story keeps expanding you know it starts with this guy who just is a portrait painter and then expands out to intrigue between factions in the government and then by the end of the movie it's like a philosophical showdown between political corruption and buddhism yeah man i do like that they had this painter guy as like the audience surrogate which i was not expecting like right i didn't know very i didn't know anything about this movie so i was like oh this is gonna be a scene with some interesting character actor it's like no this guy's gonna be in the whole thing Mm -hmm. it's like if uh if in no country for old men that shopkeeper guy who gets intimidated (laughs) in the coin toss and then like he became the main character of no country for old men yeah oh and he gets revenge you know goes after yeah well you have to it's it's. I mean, it reminds me of uh, you know Star Wars and the Hidden Fortress. The, this idea of a like regular guy who's caught up in all this intrigue and just witnesses everything. And so can't do shit. From his point of view. 
Mm-hmm. Can't even fight. He doesn't even try, right? No, he doesn't even try to fight. But he does become a tactical genius, I guess. <laughs> he built all those fake ghosts. Yeah. And then he laughs his ass off about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and again, that does line up with Xianyu uh, and Mr. Gu in that. Who's the only named character in, in the short story? Mm-mm. Everything else is just like the woman, his mother, the man who gets his head cut off, but then he turns out to be a fox spirit. <laughs> Looks like there are a lot of stories about fox spirits. Those guys are up to no good. What does that mean exactly? What makes it a fox spirit? He's like a mythical fox. He right. like, likes to fuck shit up. That's all. I don't know. I'm yeah. sure there's some. There's a lot I could learn about fox spirits. Yeah, I, I, probably, I have not. That probably wasn't the subject you were looking the most into <laughs> while researching this movie, but it is one that I'm left wondering about. Like, why foxes? Why foxes? Why them? I I mean, even in the West, we have this idea that foxes are like real smart and are up to no good. Yeah. So, I you think when them? you're just like living around foxes. You're like there's something going on there. Yeah. Um. Anyway, back to King. Uh, after this, he starts his own production company. Uh, what's interesting about that is Samo Hung uh, was in a very small part in this movie, and he ends up uh, being the stunt coordinator and a collaborator of his um, on a, fil- a few of the movies he makes after this, um, several of which are adapted from. Uh, strange tales from a Chinese studio uh, but nothing ever has the same critical success as a touch of Zen or the commercial success of uh, come drink with me or dragon in um, he tried making movies in South Korea later on um, and eventually settled down in California uh, uh, he made a few more f- films as he got older but um, I guess just the, uh, the the best of his career was behind him at that point, and uh, died in 1997 at the age of 64. But uh, oh man, you know he didn't get to see Crouching Tiger. He did not, which no. I you know couldn't help but think about a lot when watching this movie, especially since Ang Lee did a an interview for for the Criterion Special Features talking about a touch of Zen. Yeah, so uh, I think the um, the bamboo forest fight sequence is probably the most famous one mm-hmm. from A Touch of Zen, uh, and you definitely see the influence of that in Crushing and Dragon, uh, which also has a bamboo forest fight sequence. Um, and I would also bring up uh, Zhang Yimou's um, House of Flying Daggers, another Wuja film yeah. that has a pretty great. Uh, bamboo forest fight scene um it's, it's i i i don't know for sure that nobody had tried this before he did but uh looking into how difficult it is to film in a bamboo forest i i, I think at the very least he was a he, like the first hugely influential stab at uh at doing this sort of thing um what did you guys think of his uh, innovative way of getting around using wires in 
<laughs> 60s. You mean when they're hopping around on what are clearly yeah. trampolines? I mean... By which I mean his use of trampolines. Yeah. yeah, it's like a little, I don't know, cheesy or kitschy or whatever, but it's like fun. I, I, I like that this movie has this sense of like both, uh, you know, very artsy, like striking imagery, but also... Uh, just a sense of playfulness in the fight scenes as well so yeah I like the trampolines hopping around is fun yeah the um I think the coolest and the and the most familiar the part that reminded me most of Crash Tiger Hand Dragon is every once in a while someone will bound up onto uh onto one of the trees and then kind of do this like diving move off the tree Mm-hmm. Uh, like like a sword forward dive, um, and I looked up how they did that because that seems really hard. And basically, what they did is they found um, trees that were uh, at the edge of a cliff over a body of water, and so they had their stunt people climb up and jump off the trees into the water um, so they could get those shots because they just couldn't do anything with wires uh, in this movie. <laughs> I think that's that's a pretty cool uh, little little tip. One way to do that, kids out there, if you're trying to make a, a sweet martial arts movie, jump in, jump in the lake. But you don't have enough money to pay for a bunch of wires. Yeah. Don't know how to coordinate that. Don't know how to hire a whole wire food. <laughs> yeah. When's wire food making a comeback? like for a brief window didn't they have some wire food remember the musketeer yeah sure the musketeer its whole thing was like okay it's like a musketeer movie but we're shooting it like it's crouching tiger (laughs) so it's got like a bunch of like I think they got like a famous Chinese um, choreographer and I feel like there's some wire shit in it I don't remember looking at it right now Wow, it released uh, just a few days before 9-11. <laughs> of course, so we just passed the 20th anniversary of it. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's funny sometimes Wikipedia what they decide to hone in on. Like, for the one sentence here, before it goes into, like, plot cast, it says, The film features Sue Hark's regular actor, Zin Zin Zhang, as stunt choreographer, released just days before the September 11th attacks, and enjoyed box office success in the United States, despite negative reviews. That's its legacy. Yeah, that's uh, that's, <laughs> that's quite the sentence. Uh, <laughs> overcoming so much adversity <laughs> to become a box office success. Uh, all right, this looks vaguely familiar. I think it was Tim Roth, right? He's yeah, in Tim it. Roth. Stars Justin Chambers, though. What the fuck? As Dardigan. But it's weird. There was that brief, like, Crouching Tiger and Dragon had such influence over pop culture that it's even like uh, there, there were, you know, non-Asian uh, film studios. Like, let's get a crack at it. It's like, oh no, yeah. this doesn't work. Never mind. So yeah, so I looked up the history of Wuxia in, um, in the West, and it's not much. There, so the they Wikipedia says the first attempt is Kung Fu, the, the TV show. Um, and then there's not a Western produced 
Wuja film again until 2008 with The Forbidden Kingdom, which is that movie that had Jackie Chan and Jet Li in it. Okay. Hmm. Um, and really outside of that, it's like the Kung Fu Panda movies, I guess. <laughs> Into the Badlands on AMC. Um, Does the Great Wall count? <laughs> Probably not. I, you know, I, I wouldn't count as a Western like a film because movie. it's 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 still Zhang Yimou, right? So I guess it's not a, an American filmmaker. Kind of a co-production between China and the U.S. Yeah. And and I think I think he's someone who has particularly taken interest in finding success in the West after Crouching Tiger. Because um, like Hero, uh, I already brought up Pacifying Daggers, but also Curse the Golden Flower, uh, even Shadow have like come out and done okay here. So I th- I think he's trying. Yeah, it is interesting that Ang Lee did Crouching Tiger, but he was just like, I'm not I'm not going to make any other movies like this, which he hadn't even done yeah. earlier in his career. He was just like, I'm just going to do this like as as good as you possibly could, and then. Yeah, Zhang Yimou kind of picked up the torch from him, I guess. It's it's really kind of infuriating. It's why I had so high hope for Gemini Man. Because Crouch Tiger, Hidden Dragon is absolutely one of my favorite movies. Yeah. I mean, I mean he followed it up with a classic. Hulk. Oh, Jesus that's, Christ, was that the next movie? Yeah, it goes Crouching Tiger, Hulk, Brokeback Madden. What a career. <laughs> right? I respect it, but I don't know if I agree with it. <laughs> huh. When they did that Woodstock movie. Oh, yeah. I like that movie. Did uh, Billy Lynn's Halftime Walk. <laughs> he's, he's just... Does whatever, man. Oh, but he did Life of Pi between those. Remember Life like of Pi? That, that was really I good, I love too. that movie. Yeah. It's like every once in a while, he, he, he sticks the landing, and sometimes he yeah. just leaves you scratching your head. Um, so I guess I've talked about Wuja a few times. I should tell you guys what I learned about this genre. Mm-hmm. Um, so Wuja, it's the same uh, character, Jia, as Janu. Which means like heroic martial artist, I guess. Yeah. Um, so like Wuja is like you're a, you're a martial arts superhero in effect, um, and uh, while that that term is relatively new, stories in this genre have existed for thousands of years, uh, and and there have been. Uh, early attempts at making films in this genre as far back as the 1920s. Although, again, I think it, we can give a lot of credit to King Hu for, for making it popular. Uh, and so I wanted to understand like what makes something a wuja story. Um, and, and what Wikipedia gave me is that they're stories about martial artists who have elevated to superhuman levels of skill in some way. So maybe they're masters of countless fighting techniques, Maybe they could use all weapons, including like everyday objects as weapons. Uh, there's a lot of them can circumvent gravity, which is an interesting way of saying fly. But I think it's something you see in movies like Crouching Tiger and even A Touch of Zen, where they're not just like, 
you know, the Superman pose and then just go up into the air. It's more of like weird, yeah. like light jumps, like they can like bounce off leaves. And, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They just they just jump higher than you'd expect. Yeah, and they can like run across water stuff like that. Um, there's also some Dragon Ball Z shit. They can use chi to a- attain superhuman strength, speed, stamina, durability. They can heal. They can fire energy beams. They can control the elements. Uh, they can also use acupuncture techniques to like kill someone in one hit, like at the end of Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, all this are kind of the tropes of uh, of this subgenre of martial arts films, which sounds great. I want more of this, please. I feel like so much of of my like this last decade, I've just like keep watching Avatar: The Last Bender, The Last Airbender, over and over because I've I've loved this so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's opening my eyes like oh yeah i just like this genre i should i should find more more things also um thanks to king who a lot of these have um a female uh protagonist uh i, I can't say a woman because they're not always human sometimes they're fox spirits right yeah um, gotta watch out for those fox spirits <laughs> mysterious uh but i i think that's a, a another interesting uh trait of, of this particular genre that you mm-hmm. don't see a lot of uh, especially they're women who are heroes because they got good at martial arts which is different from a lot of you know their heroes because they're a magic spell was cast on them or they were they're the chosen one for some reason uh, it's not really that it's just they 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 put the, they put the work in and they got real good I definitely did think of uh, Lady Snowblood a bit watching this, even though oh, it's yeah, a yeah. that's a Japanese film, which I guess maybe explains why there's a lot less emphasis on kind of choreography and and martial arts in that movie. It's more just like everybody just gets <laughs> stabbed or hacked to bits after like a couple seconds of fighting, and then she moves on to the next guy to fight, but. It's still like very right. visually stunning in the same way, and you know, from the same period. And I, and I think that's exactly. I think that's the magic of this type of filmmaking is they're taking that that Japanese influence of like every shot basically ha- can be an iconic image. Yeah. Like if you like basically any still frame from the movie is awesome, mm-hmm. uh, and they're marrying that with this uh, operatic tradition of highly choreographed. You know, dance fighting, uh, and the credit goes to Han Ying Jae uh, on that front, who is also in the movie. He's the guy, yeah. uh, ch- Chief Commander Zhu Jianchu. He's the final uh, boss. The final boss, which is funny because he's in the Bruce Lee movie, The Big Boss, yeah. as the big boss. So <laughs> this guy, I, I had also just seen him in. Um, in Fists of Fury a, a couple months ago. Hmm. Um, he's, he's in a few of those Bruce Lee movies. That guy is real cool. He's a good final boss for this movie. I was a little worried when they killed off the seeming big boss guy uh, who had like his lightsaber thing. Uh, but they, they made up for it by bringing in this guy at the end. Yeah. The other two actors I recognized from the long list of people in this movie uh roy chow is in this uh he plays the abbot you know the main uh zen buddhist uh with his iconic mustache that i think is his real mustache but it just looks like he's wearing a fake mustache (laughs) uh 
Um, okay, you might recognize is. that from uh, the Temple of Doom. He's, he's that guy uh, in the opening scene of Temple of Doom. Lao Che. Oh. Uh, and also, he's cool in my book because he settled down in Seattle. <laughs> Hell so. yeah. Uh, and then uh, the, the the sort of star, uh, the actress who plays Yang, is Xu Feng. Um, she had also had a small part in Dragon Inn, uh, and she worked with King on a lot of his films from this point on until she transitioned into being a producer, and she produced... Farewell, My Concubine, which uh, was a movie that did very well. It won the Palme d'Or. Apparently also won a BAFTA for best... They don't call it foreign language film. They call it best film not in the English language. Uh, But it's nominated for an Oscar as well. They're just trying to keep us Americans out of there. Which is fair. (laughs) Fair enough, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I could not find out anything interesting about the career of the man who plays uh, Gu, hmm. uh, except for that his name is Shi Chun. Uh, so uh, I will say the man has an interesting look. Uh, he's he's very expressive, uh, sort of a, uh, a you know he he does not have the 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 sort of main character look to him the. But that fits with him playing someone who is very much not the main character type. He's just along for the ride, like we said earlier. Uh, he's uh, honestly very relatable. He's a, <laughs> a layabout academic who's under a lot of pressure from his mom to <laughs> either like really advance his career or get married. It's like, no, nah, I'm pretty happy painting portraits. Uh, which I relate to. I liked um, that whole, that whole opening scene where the uh, it, it felt kind of western. The the guy, the stranger, wanders into town, uh, except instead of doing something cool like drinking a beer and sh- making a piano player play and shooting a guy, he, uh, he gets a nice self portrait of himself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's there's something kind of baller about that too, where it's just like. I'm, I love myself so much. I want a picture of myself to look at as much as possible. Also, it's like they didn't have mirrors back then. Wait, no, they probably did. What am I talking about? I bet they didn't have cameras back then. So yeah. he wants mm. a picture of himself to look at. But also, he it's sure like, does. also, it's like, how do you know how accurate the portrait painter is? Well, yeah. You gotta trust him. I mean, that's true. They do some pretty gnarly close-ups of this guy where he's got, like, a bunch of... Like, he's almost got a unibrow <laughs> and stuff like that. The, 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 the portrait's a little more flattering than that. Yeah. Uh, what can I say? Goose a pro. He knows what he's doing. That's true. I also don't know why this was part of... Uh, so this character, the stranger, is called Uyang Yang. I don't know what his plan was here. Like, he definitely wanted to, like, get into town and sneak around and investigate people i don't know why he he was like i'm gonna take the time to instigate this multi-day process of getting a portrait of myself it worked out for him in the end but it it's a strange move yeah um 
so that is what Goo does during the day. At night, he goes home uh, to be hounded by his mother, uh, but also to find out that he has new neighbors in the possibly haunted house next door. Also, he, him and his mother live in a house in a fort that's abandoned. That part's weird. I don't really understand that. Um, um, yeah, so he, th- he, he thinks the, uh, the, ha- the fort is haunted. Um, so he gets, you know, his st- stick. I don't know what that thing was. I should have looked that. I have no idea how to look it up, but whatever that thing was, he brought in to scare away the spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, he brings and uh, instead runs into their new neighbor, who is a lady named Yang, uh, who ostensibly is there with her own elderly mother. Um, but what we find out later is that she is a fugitive who is on the run with two other uh, men who are uh, her generals who are in disguise as people in town um, and then goo and yang have sex for no reason yeah. it's hot <laughs> it was hot for you john or do you mean it was hot out i think he was he meant was that hot goo was passion. so hot oh got such hot expressions yeah yeah i bet painted that later <laughs> yeah he did uh he was definitely thinking about it a lot because he then proposes to to yang and she's like no this shit's over <laughs> that's not what this is he's like, all right. read the room buddy. all right <laughs> Um, is this after the first fight scene? I feel like it takes quite a while before the first fight scene happens. <laughs> to the point where you're like, is this a martial arts movie? It's at least at least a half hour, yeah. 40 minutes in. <laughs> I think I think at this point the only f- quote unquote fighting we've seen is the part where Uyang uh clearly recognizes one of the generals who's pretending to be a blind person mm-hmm. so he just shoves his ass over and the guy gets a huge gash on his head because he's you know a method actor he's not gonna he's not gonna break yeah. just because of a shove um but uh, but you're right that there is a fight around this point um yang comes back and he's and he recognizes yang and they have a sweet fight uh and earlier i said it's like he has a lightsaber uh, what I mean is this dude has a, it's a sword that he can like wrap around him like a belt, but then he wears a belt on top of it. Yeah. So I guess it's like, he can look like he's unarmed and I don't know the strategic value of this because he's always the one starting fights anyway. It's just cool, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's all that matters. Um, but this first fight is great because they're using those trampolines to like jump up on walls. Uh, Yang mm-hmm. just has like a tiny, you know, like a machete or, or even just like a knife. She doesn't have a full, like, sweet, flexible sword like, like he does, but she's uh, at least an equal match, if not outmatching him. Uh, and eventually he runs off. Um, and so then, uh, Yang and uh, her two generals, uh, the, the 
Shi, who is the guy who's pretending to be blind, and Lu Dingan, who is pretending to be a, a sort of herbalist in town, uh, explain their cause to Gu, and then they, they go after Lu Yang. Uh, and basically what we find out is that uh, Yang's father had found out that this eunuch was super corrupt and tried to uh, expose him, but the the guy he was trying to expose him to instead tortured Yang's father to death, and so they've been on the run ever since to like I guess survive, but also maybe to get revenge. Although it doesn't really come up, so I guess that I guess they are just running for their lives. They they don't seem to be that motivated to like go back and bring down the uh, the eunuch. Yeah. And we get this flashback where um, while they're on the run uh, in the mountains, they get caught uh, by the eunuch's men. Uh, but these uh, four Buddhist monks show up <laughs> and just whoop everybody's asses. Just uh, no problem. Yeah, the sequence was definitely like what got me on board with the movie. <laughs> Because I think I saw that it was three hours long, and I was just like, is this whole thing going to just be at this fort? But this is kind of the point where it kind of opens itself up to a a larger narrative, and it uses, like, the the landscape of of Taiwan. Like, you see all the mountains and rivers and and caves and stuff that they're kind of walking across, uh, you know, in in their (laughs) journey. And then, of course, yeah, mm-hmm. the monks show up, and those guys just fucking rule. I love them. <laughs> They're great. Mm-hmm. Absolutely whooping the ass. So, uh, back in the present, Yang and the others go hunt down Yang and his dudes in the bamboo forest. And that's where we have that bamboo forest fight scene, which serves as the end of the part one cut of the movie and the opening scene of the part two cut of the movie. Uh, I guess they were like, this is so good. People are going to want to Well, you also story. skipped over, there's the part um, at the fort where, well, I guess we, we kind of mentioned it earlier, where like the, I don't know who that guy is. He was some important government guy, like comes into town with like his, his soldier dudes, you know, just, just to find the, the, the band of, of people on the run and then goo builds like his <laughs> his ghost traps and makes it seem like the place is haunted so that uh all the government people will be scared away and just leave yeah yeah i think that happens after the that fight but yeah because um, i guess it doesn't cause, matter because it's because Yang is like yang throws her knives into that guy's back and then he goes and he tells the the whoever the government guy that <laughs> they're hiding in the town and then that's when the they start coming to town mm-hmm. um and yeah and then were you expecting a return to the uh the haunted house shit because i sure wasn't that becomes a major part of the the second hour of this movie is it's a scary ghost town yeah. I guess I was just setting this up for uh for Halloween a little early. Yeah. 
Um, and I like that the uh, whoever that government guy is is uh, not buying any of it, but it just doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, everybody else is, is so scared, and he's like, you guys are so stupid. This is all fake. <laughs> yeah. That's why he gets to yeah. be the boss. Because he ain't afraid of no ghosts. They bring... Uh, <laughs> they bring him in a palanquin and uh, and then everybody panics because uh, Goo has come up with this uh, innovative strategy of uh, like Colin was saying, like bringing up dummies and turning on lights and all sorts of things to make the, uh, the uh, fort seem haunted. He also has his mom go around and like spread the rumors about how haunted the fort is. Um, which turns into like a weird split screen montage, like sort of oh, feels yeah. like a heist movie for a little bit. Uh, yeah, super seventies. <laughs> yeah, and uh, well, their strategy works because they're able to freak these guys out and then like pick them off one at a time. Uh, even though it's basically three people versus an army. <laughs> um. And uh, and then the next day we see Goo, uh, who had come up with this strategy but didn't do any of the fighting, uh, laughing his ass off at all the killing, and that uh, is kind of weird. But it, it 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 turns to dismay when he like stops enjoying looking at his successful traps and starts looking at all the dead bodies littering the ground. Um, and that's when the uh, the abbot and the monks reappear because they're going to help uh, bury the dead. And it sort of changes the tone of things. Um, and what also changes the tone of things is the movie just starts uh, getting weirder and weirder from this point on. Um, so uh, Yang uh, disappears uh, and Goo goes looking for her and finds a baby that is their baby. <laughs> I guess from uh, from the that, one time that tryst they had all sex. those days ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that time that time lapse is confusing, but yeah, I guess this <laughs> took place over months. I don't know. Um, and. Uh, he, uh, he continues to do his uh, his wandering uh, and uh, eventually I guess his involvement in the massacre becomes known uh, and the wanted posters that were for Yang and the generals also now include him uh, and so one day when he lets his guard down uh, he gets recognized and more of the uh, officials are alerted to his presence and this kicks off like a series of fights that kind of carry through to the end of the movie um, yeah. that I think are all awesome uh, because it just gets like they just start fighting tougher and tougher dudes <laughs> until we get to Zhu, uh, the commander. They start bouncing higher and higher off of those yeah. trampolines. <laughs> There's there's one part where uh, the abbot and the and the the fellow monks show up, and they uh, they do some bouncing, but there's also like a close up shot of them 
and they're just like running in the air like off of leaves yeah they're kind of they're just like flooded. lightly touching leaves. yeah you can f- you can feel like this movie wishes it had the technology of of wires but yeah. they just they just didn't have it so they had to use these other methods um, I'm also into the idea that like the higher you are up in a bureaucracy, the better a fighter you are. <laughs> it really doesn't like that's not the way we we do things. Yeah, because I, I also really watched different. that Criterion uh, interview with that fancy British guy talking about how in America, like the main boss of a movie usually is, you know, just some wimpy businessman that has no fighting skills. But uh, I, I, I guess in, in Eastern culture, it's it's more accepted that the the boss knows how to kick some ass if yeah. he's challenged. Well, it feels like video game logic. Yeah. Like, he's the final boss, so he's got to be the toughest one. Mm-hmm. The big boss. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so the ending is trippy. Um, Though the abbot is clearly a better fighter than Zoo. Um, Zoo uses some trickery to uh, take a moment of opportunity to stab uh, the abbot in the stomach. Uh, and um, we see that the abbot bleeds gold blood. Yep. Uh, and he also smacks Zoo in the head so hard that he loses his like grip on reality <laughs> i guess that's how you could interpret it yeah because he he kills his sons and then jumps to his death mm-hmm. um so that's pretty wild um it also sure does seem like pretty much everybody dies at the end except for goo and the baby uh, I guess it's I ambiguous. So. Yeah. We don't know for sure, but everybody's hurt or just like lying on the ground and not moving at the end. Mm-hmm. We see uh, like the the negative images, uh, <laughs> the film negative, so it looks you know tri- trippy, kind of like it, the that final sequence in uh, two thousand one. There's also like a, yeah. a floating skull at one point that's just falling. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's wild. It's really weird. And then and then of course the uh, the shot of uh, of the abbot uh, choosing to meditate with the sun as a halo around him uh, was moving, but also undercut for me because I was like, oh yeah, it's like the end of the Last Jedi. <laughs> Last Jedi is. Yeah, I guess. It well, does. I I think about sort Luke Skywalker, but I mean, he's looking at twin suns. He's not like the Halo. Yeah. <laughs> so right. my brain is broken by Star Wars forever. Homage, perhaps. Probably not. You but, can't rule it out. But, there were several uh, pretty uh, specific homages in in that movie. So. Mm-hmm. I always think of the uh, recreation of the tracking shot from the 1927 movie Wings hmm. uh, in The Last Jedi in the Canto Bite 
section of the film, which I like, but everybody in the world hates. Uh, I like it. Yeah, I got no problem with it. And yeah, so that brings us back to that idea that uh, you know King did not have a message about Buddhism, really. He just kind of had a respect for it and wanted to uh, integrate it into the story. So um, I, I think the, the most simple way you could interpret it is probably closest to what he was going for, which is that it is a triumph over uh, corruption and uh, material desire by uh, spiritual enlightenment. I just it's always just a nice thing to hope for. <laughs> and so ends my book report on a touch of Zen. <laughs> Good job. I give you an A. <laughs> I don't know if you guys had anything else you want to talk about. I do have one goof written down here. Uh, the film is set in the 14th century AD. However, the Goo family have maize, aka corn, drying outside their house. This crop is American in origin and did not reach China until the 16th century. Amateurs, yeah. what were they doing? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I touched on everything I liked about this movie in that it is, it it does feel like almost like three different movies. <laughs> Uh, which I guess makes sense that it was split up into two. Like the first movie, or like the first hour or so is like a pretty, I don't know, almost just like slice of life about this <laughs> painter guy living at this somewhat haunted fort. And then like mm-hmm. the second part of it's like this battle between, you know, the, the corrupt government and, and people just trying to escape their wrath. And then the third part is this trippy standoff between the spiritually enlightened and the not <laughs> spiritually enlightened. Yeah. Just a real bad dude. I love the part when he tries to stab him with his twin knives and the abbot catches them and then breaks him in half. Oh, fuck yeah. Get the shit out of here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is there a villain's wiki for this movie? <laughs> kind of assume that <laughs> not, not that I could find but I could do another segment if you guys want to do something else oh. do you have one I if do so, alright I'm game it's 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 called a, t- uh, a touch of trivia or, or taste of trivia whichever whichever you think sounds better uh, this is John's touch of trivia you got the touch you got the trivia! Cause every segment yeah. has to have a scene. scene yeah. I've got five questions, each based around a famous martial artist. Trivia questions. Uh. Well, so you guys a question. Um, I guess just whoever thinks they know the answer, blurt out first. Neither of you guys know it, I'll give you a clue. If that doesn't help, I'll give you another clue. Then I'll give you uh. another clue. Um... All right, so let's let's start it off. Some of these are are funny. Most of them you don't actually need to know that much about martial arts movies. So yeah. So yeah, I think it's it's, it's anyone's game. All right. All right. My first question, guys. What is Jackie Chan's most successful film? Ooh, interesting. Uh, 
Are we talk? Are we talking worldwide? Yes. Okay. Ooh. And by most successful, we're just meaning highest worldwide box office. Yes. I'm gonna go with Kung Fu Panda. Oh, Sean nailed it! First try. Nice. Kind of a trick question. Because yeah. he's got, what, like, fifth billing, maybe? <laughs> it is the first Kung Fu Panda. I think, actually, some of his other American movies are pretty close behind. Like, I saw a list, and there was only one, um, like, Hong Kong movie that was in the list. I, couldn't, I can't remember mm. what it's called. It was called, like, like Kung Fu Yoga, or had some hilarious title. <laughs> I don't think I've never heard of. It sounds okay. great. I was Here, thinking maybe he did, from. like, a recent, like, uh... Hong Kong epic and it just made a shitload of money there but not or made a shitload of money in China I don't know but uh, that, right. that movie I was trying to remember is called Kung Fu Yoga it came out in 2017 okay uh, question number two in 2013 Bruce Lee was digitally recreated for a commercial to promote what famous alcohol brand oh god Ooh. I remember when this happened because a lot of people were like, this is disgraceful. <laughs> if neither of you guys know, I can give you some clues. I got lots of clues. So this is the uh, the one where he's like playing table tennis with, uh, with nunchucks. Is that right? Mm, I mean, there might, unless there's multiple, the one I saw was him like walking around the city narrating. Oh, I don't think some, I've even seen this commercial. Like stuff. It's the only one I'm familiar with. All right, I'll give you guys a clue. It's a it's a famous whiskey. J- Jack Daniels. <laughs> Not Jack Daniels. I'll give you another clue. It, it is it is a dude name. That's my second. That's my next clue. It's named. It's like a person name. Jim Beam. Jim Beam. No, no, you're you're narrowing down the list. Johnny Walker. I guess that's. Scott. It's Johnny Walker. Okay. Johnny Walker. Uh, a lot of people weren't very happy about this commercial. <laughs> I believe it's for Johnny Walker Blue Label, though, so for the higher-end stuff. Yeah. All right. Okay, my third... So that was my Bruce Lee question. One-to-one, Colin. <laughs> question number three. What 2002 martial arts film was the first foreign-language movie to open at number one at the U.S. box office? I think Hero came out in 2002. You nailed it, it's Hero. Yeah, I was going to say that. Um, but Sean's and, got those uh, faster lips. Did you see that in theaters, Sean? <laughs> I did. So you're you're part of the reason that was such a big hit. Yeah. That that did, did you see it opening weekend? I don't I don't know. I don't even know if I knew Jet Li back then. I don't know what his breakout was internationally. Was it like was like the one and all that stuff that's already come out he had cradled to the grave oh you know what it was hell yeah I, I, I first heard of him I think like a most Americans for Lethal Weapon 4 uh, he's the bad guy yeah right. remember, how, remember how an old way, Mel Gibson and old Danny Glover <laughs> fight Jet Li uh, to the tune of saxophone music <laughs> If you haven't seen it in a while, um, Hero is like has the best cast of all time, 
It's uh, it's it's Jet Li, but it's also Tony Lung, Maggie Chung, Zhang Zi, Donnie Yen. Like everybody in it is somebody. It's huge. Yeah, I remember I watched it with you years later. I remember it being pretty great. Yeah, the only thing about it is people say its politics are fucked, but I don't know enough about okay. Chinese history. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Question number four. This one seems like it was a filler question. For like, I'll call up something better later, but then I never do. <laughs> uh, this famous martial artist played a shape-shifting werewolf superhero in this urban thriller. Can you name that martial artist? Ugh. Now, you know it's not going to be any of the guys who've already been mentioned. Okay. I'll give you guys... Let me know if you want a clue. Yeah, give me a clue. He's worked with Quentin Tarantino. Samo? Not Samo. Mm. In a film, well, I mean, Quentin's only made so many films. You guys have definitely seen it. My next clue is going to totally give. My next wait, clue wait, is wait, like, wait, once wait, I say wait. it. Wait, 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 wait. Is it Sonny Chiba? It's Sonny Chiba! Yeah. Ah. Nailed it. Um, a, a famous martial artist who once said the only thing an actor needs to do is to get a six pack. Yeah. I, once I yeah. thought about it, I was like, what What famous martial artist also kind of does trash? <laughs> this is this is a movie that I saw on Joe Bob's show called Wolf Guy, colon, Enraged Like and Throat. Yeah. Wolf Guy? Wolf guy. <laughs> yeah. So you had a guy who like is trying to solve like a murder or something, and he turns into a werewolf. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, so it's all tied up, right? Yeah, this is for all the marbles. Oh, this last one's kind of easy, too. So this last one is more of just um, who's quickest on the draw. All right. (laughs) Okay, question five. Some of this famous martial artist's self-proclaimed accomplishments include being able to speak four languages, beating up the Yakuza while in Japan, and being a reserve deputy sheriff. Steven Seagal. It's Steven Seagal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was reading a whole list of great Steven Seagal facts. And, uh, of course, yeah, we all know he's a piece of shit. He's a terrible person. Should be canceled. <laughs> Remember um, when he had that show where he did, like, ride-alongs with cops? But he would just, like, yeah. sit in the in the cop car he's most of the time. The <laughs> he's like, hey, you should do this when you go in and arrest those bad guys. It's like, why are you here? <laughs> One of my favorite, when I was looking at Steven Seagal facts, like anecdotes, was, and you guys may have heard this story before. Once he like went up to a producer and he said, "Hey, I've just read the greatest script ever written," and they went, "Who wrote it?" And he goes, "I did." <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he ever made that movie. <laughs> Not just, hey, I just read a great script. I just, I just read the greatest script ever written. Mm-hmm. And it's his own script. Well, that's all I got for a touch of trivia. I think it worked out fine. Yeah, that was fine. Um, I don't know if Steven Seagal counts as a... He's not really in the same class as these other guys. But yeah. hey, he, he, he taught Aikido. Surprise. That's how he, was uh, he, didn't, he didn't whip out a Chuck Norris fact, but... Yeah. I guess those are hard to Chuck prove because well, there's so many fake we'll ones do, on the like, internet. a Chuck Norris movie and I'll just do, like, Chuck Norris... A touch of trivia. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's a single Chuck Norris film I would want to watch in this podcast. 
Um, I guess I've never seen Enter the Dragon, so maybe I'll pick that at some point. Mm -hmm. Or uh, Invasion USA is a movie I've always kind of wanted to see. Like, they destroy a whole town. Otherwise, good stuff. Thanks for playing. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming up with a replacement game. Uh, I guess I can move on to my pick for next yes, episode. Yes, reveal your secrets. All right. So, uh, we all know school is starting up again. Uh, yeah. Which is why Shana had to give us a book report in this episode. So I figured I would carry Sorry. that theme on uh by once again picking a school movie i guess i did one last year around this time as well when i did a uh-huh. back to school but that was a college yeah. movie uh the one i'm picking Uh-oh. is a high school movie <laughs> specifically even better uh rock and roll high school movie <laughs> featuring the ramones which i have not seen i've always kind of wanted to see it i think john's seen it before I have seen this movie, and yeah. I liked this movie in my memory. If you're a Ramones yeah. fan, it's a great movie because they're in it a lot, and there's, there's like scenes that are basically like just like music videos. It's cool. Yeah, well, that sounds great. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it looks fun, and it looks like Joe Dante like directed some of it, <laughs> like it had a little bit of a troubled production. So that's our our sort of second Joe Dante movie. Because uh, we also did wow, the one back in action. We're kind of picking the the interesting Joe Dante movies. Yeah, because <laughs> Looney Tunes back in action and yeah. cool. I'm trying to. The Ramones are American, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. I mean, Joy Ramone does kind of sing with like a faux British accent. <laughs> Or, or just yeah. For a second, I was like, "Oh, interesting, a British high school." But then, yeah. no, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> it's like British by way of a, a Queen's accent. It's just <laughs> it's hard to even decipher <laughs> what the Ramones accent is. <laughs> I, of course, it's Queen's because the Blitzkrieg Bops in that Spider-Man movie. Yeah. I had, to, I, had to, I had to bring it all you, you see you see how I brought it all back to where we did. started the Green yep. Goblin back to Spider-Man That's, watch out for the gas yep. <laughs> we're right back where we started with pumpkin bombs eight pumpkins they're full of gas so look out for the little gremlins the little goblins they're going to steal your wallet um, while you're um, on guard maybe head over to mildlyplease.com Read uh, some of our movie reviews and other things we write about, like album reviews, <laughs> I guess. Um, and also, uh, if you liked this podcast, there's there's like a whole bunch more of them. You can find them by searching for Mildly Pleased on Apple Podcasts or whatever the hell else people use. Um, sorry, I sound so exasperated there. I, I'm happy that you're doing it. It's a good thing. Um, and uh, and yeah, we're we're gonna rock socks off next week. So uh, I'll speak to you next time. You've been put to the